Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Just recently, Jesus had been in Jerusalem for the Passover. He had been there teaching and doing miracles and turning over tables in the temple, creating quite a stir. And then he went after that up into the hill country of Judea, and he hung out with his disciples and the disciples of John the Baptist. And he continued after that to make his way through Samaria, and that's where he met the woman at the well. And he stayed there about two days, and many of the Samaritans believed in him. And today, in our gospel lesson, he arrives back in his home country uh, when he comes to the town of Cana in Galilee, and that's where, of course, he had performed his first sign miracle when he turned the water into wine. Well, he's coming into Cana, and he's met there by a nobleman who had come down from Capernaum. Capernaum's about 16 miles away, a day's journey. And this nobleman comes from Capernaum down to Cana because he, he's very anxious and he's desperate because his son is very sick. And he heard that Jesus had come up from Judea and was returning to Galilee. And he believes that maybe Jesus can heal his son. So he comes down to find Jesus. And finding Jesus, the nobleman begs him to come to his house and heal his dying son. He wants Jesus to come make the day's trip back to Capernaum and heal his son. Well, Jesus responds to the man, not with peaches and cream, you know, but actually with a bit of a rebuke. And he says, unless you people, now he's speaking to the man and those around there, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, in the verses right before our reading picked up, it's important because it fits in. In the verses, the couple of verses right before our reading, Jesus had just got done saying as he enters into his home country that a prophet has no honor in his home country. And John adds to that, the Galileans, Jesus was a Galilean, the Galileans received him having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Because they had been down there in Jerusalem with him at the feast. When he was there. Because they had seen all the things he did. The miracles. That's why they believed in him. And Jesus says an honor. A prophet has no honor in his own country. But they did believe in him. Because they had seen these things. Well this gives us a clue. As to what this story is about. Jesus the Galilean. Was here in his town. He was among his own people. These are the ones he grew up with. They knew him best. And you would think. Knowing Jesus best, I mean, he is God in the flesh, you would think that they would find it easy to believe in him. And yet, as he says, he has no honor among them. What faith they had, as is made clear in the passage, what faith they had, they had because they saw signs and miracles. That was the source of any faith that maybe they had. Jesus is not very impressed with this kind of faith, the kind of faith that rests upon and requires proof, signs, and miracles. So back to our story with the nobleman. 
This nobleman had some faith. He did. He had some faith. And he did seek out Jesus to come heal his son. But the story is about how the nobleman's faith is weak and immature. And so Jesus pushes back against his request with a rebuke, a critique. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Well, the nobleman will not take no for an answer. So he insists. He comes back at Jesus. Sir, Kyrios, Lord, sir, come down before my child dies. All right, we see here in the story, the nobleman's faith is growing. This is good. This is a good response. This is what Jesus was looking for. Jesus rebukes him, hoping the nobleman would say this. This is a positive sign. Jesus rewards his response. He rewards his faith, saying, go your way. Your son lives. And with that, we read, the man believed Jesus' word and went back to his house. So he goes back to his house, believing Jesus' word, and on the way, he meets his servants, and his servants say, Master, your son is alive. He lives. He's well. Now, his faith is still not yet perfected. Not quite. He still needs assurance of a sign, and he asks them, at what hour? At what hour did he recover, by the way? He checks his sundial on his wrist sundial. (laughs) And they told him when he recovered, and he realized it was at the very hour that Jesus had spoke the words, your son lives. And by the end of the story, his faith matures and reaches its perfection, and we read that this nobleman and his whole household believed. His whole household. So that's the story from our gospel today. You might recognize the story because there is another story told to us by Matthew, which is very much like this story, but is not this story. It's so similar that you might have conflated the two. Matthew's story also takes place in Capernaum, where this nobleman is from. And when we compare these two stories, we can learn something important. In Matthew's story, the difference is, is it is not a nobleman and his son, it is a centurion and his slave. And the slave is sick at home, paralyzed and greatly tormented. And the centurion seeks out Jesus. But Jesus' response to the centurion is very different than his response to the nobleman. Jesus censures and critiques the nobleman's faith But to the centurion, he says immediately, I will come and heal him. And the centurion says, great, let's go. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, no, to Christ, don't come. Don't come. I am not worthy. Just say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus, we know, marveled. It's always wonderful if you can make Jesus marvel. That should be our goal in life for all of us. My life's goal is to make the Lord marvel. Jesus marveled and he said he had not found such great faith in all of Israel. Both the centurion and the nobleman had faith in Jesus. 
The difference is that the centurion's faith was perfect and mature. And his faith relied upon the word of Jesus. The nobleman's faith was imperfect and weak and required a sign. When Jesus rebukes the nobleman's faith and he refuses to come, he is in love like a father to a child. He is disciplining the nobleman through his rebuke. He is disciplining him and he is doing what needed to be done to help the nobleman's faith along, to perfect the nobleman's faith. There is a faith that needs proof. That is an imperfect faith. And there is a faith that somehow, some way, mystically springs from the heart. And this faith is unassailable. But even the imperfect faith of the nobleman eventually developed into a mature faith, which saved his entire household. Quite often in the Gospels, Jesus critiques faith that requires a sign, that needs proof, that must see. I think for me, perhaps the most poignant example in the Gospels is when Jesus rebukes Philip, his very beloved friend. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? We feel the sting of these words from Jesus to Philip as if they were addressed to us when we falter, when we doubt our Savior, the lover of our souls, our elder brother, our friend, when we doubt Him, when we do not believe. We hear His words to Philip, do you not know me? Do you not believe? Our love for God, our intimacy with God, is in direct proportion to our faith. And our faith is perfected when His Word is enough for us. He clearly tells us in the Gospels again and again that signs are for unbelievers. It is when nothing is going right, when there is sickness, and lack and confusion and failure and disappointment all around, when we cannot see the light, when we are making our way through a fog, when the wicked seem to prosper, as we heard in this morning's reading, it is in those times that we believe in God and this faith is pleasing to God. We read in Lauds every week, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, you should memorize this, <laughs> yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's the kind of faith that is pleasing to God. In the words of faithful Job, and we heard from Job again this morning, Though he slay me, yet I will believe in him. You know, the best love stories are those in which the lovers remain true, even at the appearance of treachery and betrayal. We know that, that genre. It is their love which keeps them when the circumstances testify against them. Ours is a love story with God. 
And it is this kind of trust in Him that pleases Him. Trust in His undying faithfulness, His goodness, especially in the face of adversity, when there is no sign, and yet we know He is true. We know He is with us because we love Him. Well, not many of us, maybe none of us, are the centurion. We are all the noblemen. We have faith. It is an imperfect faith. But thanks be to God, like with the noblemen, it can be perfected. Our faith can become like the faith of the centurion. Our faith will be perfected when Jesus, in love, disciplines us, which he does. It is like oil upon our head. We say, thank you, Lord, I needed that. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes the Lord refuses to come at our beckoning, at our insistence. Sometimes he says no. And he requires us to believe in his word. Our demand for proof and for God to explain himself to us, it's really a pitiful thing, isn't it? We uh, little despots shaking our little muddy fists at the Almighty God, treating Him like He's our lackey. That's what we're doing. It's ridiculous. But while we're doing this, He doesn't squash us. He doesn't shove us away. No, He continues to be patient and humble because that's what He's like. Long-suffering. He continues to beckon and call and woo us to faith. To believe in Him, to love and humbly submit ourselves to Him, to His very kind and love-giving Word, because He desires more than anything to bring us into the joy and delight that He has prepared for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.